Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. And we are back to the rest of the sermon. Welcome, everybody. We are glad that you are here today. We have not a special guest, I guess. You're kind of, you're regular now. I guess. Yes, we have our family director, Miss Nikki, here in the podcast with us today. Um, Just to give you guys a little bit of information, if you were there Sunday, um, we prayed for Pastor Tyler, who had, uh, you guys have been listening to the podcast. Um, Long story short, Tyler had a nodule, I think is the correct medical term, on his vocal cord. So it's been a journey. I mean, that guy did um, eight weeks of silence, like just everything, man. And so the final surgery was yesterday and got updated uh, by his wife, Kayla. Everything went great. The doctor felt really well about it, the incision, the healing, all of that stuff. And so Tyler will be in recovery mode for a few weeks, and Miss Nikki is going to be joining us here on the rest of the sermon. Yeah. And just to catch you guys up, what we do is um, this podcast and the purpose is to dive deeper in content and conversation. And I have a weekly struggle of always saying in my sermon prep, ah, I can't go there, or I can't spend enough time there, or my problem is never what to say, it is what not to say. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot of information in a short time frame. It is. And so this Sunday, we wrapped up um, one of our longest series that we've done that has not been in the book of the Bible. It was entitled New Year, New Family, and at the beginning of the year, we just pressed pause on everything, and after we went through Advent, and we just looked in the scriptures at the roles of a family and what that looks like. And whether that be parenting, what even is a family? What even is a house? We broke down an acronym. So we did marriage, we did husbands, wives, we did singles. And this past week we did parenting, which was great. But Miss Nikki, just to ask you, looking at this series, looking at your role at Westside and just you as a congregant and a person hearing these sermons, what stuck out to you in this series? Was there a standalone sermon? Was there a week that you were like, "Mm, how was it? Okay, so this sermon series topic has a special place in my heart anyway, Yep. because we've done New Year, New Family way back in 2016. Is that the year? Yes, and I know this, and this is why it's so important to me. Man. I was in and out of church always as a kid, Yeah. and Grandma had the big Bible on her, you know, like, coffee table, like... It was legit. Yeah. I would be the kid that would pray, please, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I was right. mean to my brother. Yes. Um, but I was never baptized. Yeah. As a kid, as a teen, as a young adult. Yeah. Um, and I was baptized in 2016 yeah. through this sermon series. Wow. Because I was putting a higher emphasis on baptism. So this, my husband and I were both baptized the yep. same day. Very, yes. very big day. It was incredible. Huge, yeah. So this sermon series, I remember back then. Yeah. I wasn't single. I was like, I could. We could stay home and sleep today. I don't have to listen to a single one. <laughs> yeah. I think I got more out of that single sermon than wow. I did any of the others. Yeah. This time around, being on staff, I kind of hold to a higher standard, not only for myself, but for my coworkers. Sure. And they're amazing. Yeah. But I was like, how's he going to do this again? We kind of already done this. Yeah. But it's all been fresh yeah. information mm-hmm. that is new, but it is still so relevant. Yeah. Like, always. 
I have a sign up that in my house that says, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And we live by that. Sure. But teaching it to kids oh, yeah. was sure. huge for me. Like, how does that? We broke down that house acronym and yep. the kids learned. And for me, as a congregant, yeah. knowing that, hey, yeah, we've already talked about this. And yes, you know that verse. Let's dig a little deeper like we're doing now in this sermon, yeah. you know, in the rest of the sermon. It is, that's the important, the intentionality that yeah. comes into this. Yeah, it was the series, and I think I said this one Sunday, like, when I looked back through my old sermon notes, and I, I didn't know the year, that's incredible, 2016, yeah. that seems so far, but yet last year, all at the same time. Right. But when I looked back through my sermon notes, I was struck with, this is good information. Mm-hmm. You know, it was almost like buying something from Ikea and getting an instruction manual. Right, that you can understand. Yes. When I looked back through my notes, I was like, this is instruction manually, which was very important because our church was growing massively at the time, and there were people that just didn't even know the information. And so it was very information-driven, but now after pastoring Mm -hmm. that amount of time, having my own family, being a husband, being a father, all of that stuff... I thought, man, let's look at different avenues on these subjects and topics that way. And the goal of the series was to break down old foundations and build up new foundations. And so for me personally, for the past couple of years of going on an emotional health journey and understanding a family as an emotional unit, and then seeing in that passage when Joshua says, you have to put away the gods of your fathers. Right. Man, that for me, and we spent a whole sermon on that, but that for me was like, oh my goodness. I think when we begin to start a family, and no matter who you are, and you're in a season of life where it's your life, this is your career, what's going to govern my life, all of these things, I think people hit sort of almost an emotional and spiritual glass ceiling mm-hmm. because they don't realize I'm operating under a faulty foundation. Right. And there's some things I need to tear down and there's some things I need to build up in that sense. And so this week, with it being on parenting, this is right in your avenue. Oh, absolutely. Not just because you're our family director, you're a parent yeah, as well. And so I'm super excited. Our passage was Deuteronomy 6 that we were in. And so, Nikki, um, you can just kind of take it away from here, man, and, and let's engage. You got questions. I do. I'm in the hot seat. He so. is. I never get yes. to do this. I'm I love so it. excited. I love it. Yes. So excited. So, yeah, we were in Deuteronomy, and we were in chapter 6, and we read verses 1 through 9, and then we skipped down and read verse 20 through 25. Yeah. So... I'm just going to read probably verse one and two. Great. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Good. So I am a mom. I have a 22 year old and I have a 16 year old, a boy and a girl. Yeah. So my life is chaotic at best. Yep. Um, I was a young mom. I got mm. married at 19, had my first baby when I was 20. Uh, that's almost Courtney's exact timeline. That's um, incredible. My husband and I were not in a biblical marriage yeah. for a very long time. It took my son 
as probably a nine-year-old, eight, nine-year-old, going to church with a family, yeah. my cousin, and him saying, I want to go back to church. Well, we're like, okay, we can't send him. We have to go. Yeah. So we went and we've grown and it's been so amazing wow. watching God work just in my family. Yeah. I'm also very privileged because of my position on staff and yeah. we've been at Westside for so long. I get to watch all these new families grow. Yep. So when it says teach, like that word is so huge in this text yep. and you did it very well. Um, I love that you didn't give parents, hey, you need to have nine o'clock bedtime, mm. 9.15 prayer time, yeah. these three days. That application of how to do that doesn't always work in a life. Yeah. But I like that you gave the parents the why. Yeah, that was a big thing because when I looked back at my old sermon notes, and and there is, we did a series called Home, mm -hmm. and um, I talked about, you know, discipline and, and really got boots to the ground, even like ages, like zero to three, this is what. And the, I do think that there are guiding principles right. in scripture for that. But I think one thing that is a temptation, and sometimes I think the church buys the lie that these families come in with all of these anxieties and this life, it's hard, mm -hmm. it's so hard. And they're saying, man, resolve this anxiety for me. Like literally tell me every hour of the day what I'm supposed to do. Right. And, and the problem with that is, and we said this in the sermon, there is no guaranteed pattern or way that will certify that you will produce a godly child. Right. It, that does not, there is no, I call it cookie cutter parenting. Right. There is no one set of principles that works for everybody that's going to produce godly children. And so that was really important is to understand the why in that aspect. I, I love that you did that. Um, you spoke Sunday about how close we are um, with the three chair yeah. demonstration on yep. the generations. Break that down again yeah. for the viewers who maybe haven't listened yet. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I talked about, I'll never forget Mike Iaconale. This was back when I was in student ministry and Mike Iaconale was like 50 years old and he was always teaching at these youth conferences and um, he, I'll never forget him saying, I've been offered a senior pastor position multiple times in my life. And my response always is, I would never want to step down to become Ooh, a senior pastor. Good for him. And I, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. But he was this baby boomer hippie guy. And at this conference, he did the illustration of the three chairs, which is widely known in leadership and, and a bunch of stuff. And the context around it is, when the Bible talks about family in, in the verses that you read, your sons and your sons' sons, right. the Bible always uses generational language. And I think that's so important because we get bogged down of what's right in front of our face, the day-to-day, -day, our kids. And we don't start thinking about our grandkids or the next generation until they're born. And then we're like, oh gosh, this is a legacy. This is all of that. And so the three chairs represent primarily three generations. You know, sociologists, everybody who studies culture, basically three generations is kind of the window for anything. An organization, a church, a business, America, anything like that. The first chair represents what's known as the committed. 
it's a first chair generation. I use the example of Margaret and Ted Cross. The builders. Yep. They they are the builders. They build the organization. Yeah. They the, Margaret and Ted Cross, for our listeners, were the founding members of Westside. Right. Westside started in the basement of their home almost 60 years ago. So grateful for them. It's incredible. And to pastor that woman was the, the badge of honor in, in my career. But even when it comes to like Tom Brokoff, he called um, the World War II generation the greatest generation that ever lived. They are a first chair generation. Right. They are committed. They are the builders. They're the founders, the matriarchs and patriarchs. When you think about it in the Bible, think about David. Right. Um, you know, there's David, there's Solomon, and Solomon's sons. So this is the first chair generation. They're the committed. They're not going anywhere. But then the first chair generation produces what is known as the second chair. And the second chair is called the compromised generation. Now, this is a little bit rough, but what a sociologist would tell you is children that grow up in the homes of first chair generation assume everything because they never saw the struggle. Right. They never saw the founding. Right. They never saw West Side as in the basement of Margaret and Ted's home. They saw the building. They saw the building project. They saw, you know, so the baby boomers, and sociologists could talk a lot about the baby boomer generation. <laughs> they were the sons of the World War II generation. Right. They're the compromised generation. And in the Bible, they're known as sort of um, the elders. And you could summarize them as knowing about God. Right. So they were raised up and they saw the monuments, they saw the pillars, and those things always existed. The, and then the second chair generation produces what's known as the third chair generation. And he called them the confused generation. And so in scripture, you see like the worthless sons of Eli. Right. Eli was a, 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 a priest in the temple. And his sons were going to continue in the lineage, and they were just, I mean, when the Bible calls you worthless. That's not a compliment. <laughs> that's not a good thing. No. You know, and and you can look at this in organizations. I think if you look at our nation. I was thinking of grandpa building a business, dad taking it over, grandson's got the brand new pickup truck that was mm. built on granddad and daddy's back, but he wants no part of it. Yep. He's going to go you know, sell yep. Nikes or whatever. And and in our context, it would be, you know, I think about my hometown of Kennett and the farmers. Right. The yeah. first generation who a, a, any money they had went back into buying a few more acres, right. a few more acres. And now the grandson or the great grandson has been handed 25, you know, 2,500 acres to farm. And it normally doesn't produce the way that the first generation did. But D.A. Carson, a Bible scholar, summed it up this way. He said, one generation believes the gospel. The second generation assumes the gospel. And then the third generation rejects the gospel. Right. And the whole point of the three-chair illustration is to say, any organization, any family, any church, any nation— is one chair away from crumbling. Right. The and moment as, it's not passed down. And as a parent, the weight of that, when yeah. you just take it in that context, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm here. And hopefully you're self-aware enough, you can recognize where you fall into this. Yep. And then that, 
I would hope, get you thinking about where are my children going to land and how can we adjust and, you know, deflect them from going one way or the other. Absolutely. And then you dropped a bomb and I kind (laughs) of loved it because you followed that up after saying every church family organization is one chair away from collapse. Yeah. It was in what fashion am I focusing on the gospel? Yeah. So DA Carson's quote is a very meaty quote, but basically what he says is through his observation is the reason why this happens is the first chair generation had a very clear cause. Right. They had a meaning, which was the gospel. And so we need to plant churches. I think about when Miss Margaret told me, you know, they came from another church. There was conflict. There was an aggressive state coordinator that was like, hey, instead of a church split, let's plant a church because it's about the gospel. At that point, there was nothing on the west side, the right. northwest side of Popper Bluff. So they planted that church. They did that. I mean, their mission was so crystal clear. But D.A. Carson says the second generation then picks up like these subtopics. So it becomes about what we're against. And he says things like abortion, pornography, homeschooling, certain theology. All of a sudden now we have to fight for these secondary or tertiary issues. And then the next thing we know, we've lost focus of the gospel. And that's what causes the collapse in that sense. So you reminded us to point our focus always back to the gospel as parents, which we absolutely should, because if we drop down and look at verse 20, when your son asks you in the time to come, Mm. what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statues and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? That's a question the Bible poses, and we have to be able to answer that, and it is answered. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and mm. the Lord brought us out. So and beautiful. we are so grateful that the Lord brought us out of that. Right. Yes, We have that gift and that blessing that when it comes to our children, we walk with Christ. They are yeah. God's children first. Yep. Then he entrusts them to us. Yep. And I have the lovely gift of I get to walk beside parents when it comes to teaching their children who Jesus is. Yeah, and for I sure. love that. Yeah. But one thing I always remind parents, and I've been quoted on this a few times, which still freaks me out. Parenting does not get easier. It does not get better. Guys, if you're listening and you think parenting is going to get easier or better, I'm so sorry. It doesn't. That's it gets huge. different. That's huge. It just changes. Nikki, I, I mean, I think that's worthy to spend time on because I really do think that there's a majority of parents who think, you know, so let's let's walk through the seasons. You're in the toddler season where your job as a parent is to make sure this baby doesn't die. Right. Like, no forks know, in the light sockets. You know, all, yeah. of, all of that stuff. And then you get into preteen and then you get into teenager and then it's, I got to get them to college or career. Right. And they have to have a plan. And then when they get the plan, you're teaching them about a mortgage and yeah. about, uh, and then looking at my parents, I was, so I was a rebellious kid for sure. But I've seen what my parents have had to walk through with their four boys who were adults, right. married with kids. And then one of my brothers went through bankruptcy and some mental health issues and some addictions. And I would say that my mom and dad, no doubt, would say, sitting with our son, who was 45 years old when everything crumbled around him, was a different kind of yes. tough 
versus him sneaking out at night or doing yes. something like that. So that, I, I just think that's super important for people to hear from a parent of what you're saying. Well, I mean, and I and I can only say that because I'm on that opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. I don't have a baby that's keeping me up all night. I'm not sleep deprived in that same <laughs> yeah, sense. Right. Um, I'm sleep deprived in the fact I have a 22 year old in college who is old enough to make his own choices. Yep. And this mama is on her knees praying for him to make the right ones. Absolutely. I have a 16 year old daughter in high school and that is just a prayer request all in itself. Yes. yes. But you it's different. It's, it's different. different. Yeah. And you said that biblical parenting is the process of passing down the gospel to your children. I think that's the bullseye. And I think, explaining that it is the process. Yep. It's never going to be a one and done. Yeah, I think the lie, going back to what I said, the the cookie cutter. And so I've had a parent, when I've said that before, throw the Proverbs at me, you know. But the Bible says that if you raise a child and the way in he or she should go, they shall not depart from it. Okay, so let's break that down yeah, for a minute. Proverbs 22. Right, so is that a promise of a result or is that a truth? And right. and now here's what I mean by that. I believe what that Proverbs is teaching is that when you pass down these commandments like Moses is saying, they will never be able to run from the why. Right. They will never be able to say, either on the day of judgment or before anyone, I never knew the truth. Right. So when you when the biblical process of passing down the gospel is so your kids will always know the why. What that doesn't mean, and it's what we get into here, The I knew I needed to follow that statement up. Right. It doesn't promise a result. Right. Because what we're dealing with is human beings. Right. These are little people or big people who have their own mind and their own will. And I'll never forget Adrian Rogers, the famous preacher, saying, God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. Mm -hmm. We are all born into the kingdom of God. And so the process for us as parents is passing down the truth in hopes and in prayer that one day that truth and those lessons and those nights of crying and all of that, God will ignite our child's heart and mind for the love of God themselves. And I think that's somewhere we need to kind of pause for a second yeah. because as a mama of a, you know, grownish kid. Sure. Um, and as, you know, mom that when her babies were little, we did read Bible stories. We did do the things. The kids know I can't make that decision for them no more than my mama could for me. Yep. Her mama could for her. We can't. We're Christians. Why would we need Jesus as our Savior if we thought we could save ourselves? A hundred percent. And I think what changes, and this is important, I've heard someone say that all the way up until about preteen, you do have a level of control over your kids. So as a parent, like right now, my three kids, I can almost physically make them do something. Right. You know, like, I mean, so... But after the preteen into teenage, young adult, adult years, you transition from control to influence. Right. That's all you have as a parent. And that's a very good word in yeah. society right now. Influence. Influence. Yes. Parents, if you are not the influence for your children, 
they're going to get it somewhere else. Yep, absolutely. Um, you're absolutely right. Your oldest just hit double digits. Yep. And in that, he's in the middle school. He's hearing yes. things, seeing things, doing things that aren't always what you want him to hear or see. 100%. And so you have to set that up. You have to be the structure and the foundation for them. And I think up to that point, what you're doing, James Dobson, who I love, I disagree with on some things, but he says up until that point of maybe double digits, your job as a parent is that when you encounter your child's will up until about 10 or 11 years old, your job as a parent is to win meaning you have to establish the position of authority right. up until that point. Mm-hmm. Because after that, all you have is influence. Right. You do technically have authority, but at, but at that point, they can choose to accept that authority or reject that authority. And so what you're saying is par for the course. Is it is a season shifts and it yes, changes. It gets different. Yeah. If you're spanking a 16 year old guy, you've I'm lost. Sorry, you've it's lost. Not, it's not good. I, oh my gosh. And and I think we said Courtney and I had a conversation recently, like Roman getting into and not getting too personal, but that season for him has passed. Yeah. Because I think up until this point, if we're doing that, you've lost. Yeah. It, Be- because you're authoritarian. It's power. Yes. It's not, it becomes a power move. Yep. And not a learning Yeah. Experience. And we'll get into that grace and truth, but yes. yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the great things I heard out of your mouth was we never arrive in parenting. Yep. You never arrive. Yes. Um, there's not a MapQuest. Google nope. Maps will not stop and say, you are here, you are done. Yes. Um, yes. If you are a good Christian parent. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're never done. Yes. Um, because influence. And that I think yeah. that is such a great word for this is you build the foundation. The kids grow up. They learn. They know you're equipping them with tools. Yeah. And then they're going out into the world. And when the world is coming around them, you are giving them things to, they can either accept the world yep. and they're going to test things. The best way children learn, especially at that age group, I'm going to say probably 12 and up, yeah. is by doing dumb stuff safely. Yes. Yes. And as a parent, it is so hard to watch your kids do dumb stuff and yep. you can see the train wreck coming, yes. you know, and you're like, Jesus, just yes. bubble wrap them, you know, Holy Spirit. Yes. Activate. A great example is the other day, Andy got a little bit of money. I, um, I think she lost a tooth. And so she's wanting long nails because mm-hmm. Andy Grace is about that life. She's a girly girl. Yeah, all about that life. And so Courtney was like, okay, you can just browse Amazon and have fun. So little Andy Grace is filling up that Amazon shopping mm-hmm. cart. Just these are cool. These are cool. These are cool. And Courtney, Andy has learned math. And so Courtney was like, well, you got, you know, let's say you got $20. Okay. So that's two zero point zero zero. Your shopping cart is well above that. Yeah. So you can't buy that. And to watch literally in her eyes the wheels turn. I was like, this is this is what we have to do. Yeah. We have to provide what you said, safe guardrails. Yes. This is the safety zone. Mm-hmm. But within this safety zone, you can trip and fall. That's okay because you've got to learn and you've got to process that. Absolutely. It's huge. We're not born knowing how to walk. Goodness we have gracious. People. Yes. So um, I'm a big fan of, and it's easier now that my kids are older, 
that they're going to do dumb stuff, yep. especially as teenagers. Um, but they need to do it safely. Yeah. Um, when the kids are experimenting with, say, drinking, it is not something I will ever be like, oh, yeah, I'm not the mean mom sure. or the mean girl's mom. Sure. Come be cool. Do it At here. my house. Uh-uh. Right. Yeah. No, we're not going to do that. Um, but we are going to give them the tools to do the things to say, and this just something feels gross here. I can't yep. do this. I need to bounce out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's good. And parents, this was one thing you um, got into the guilt and the shame of parenting. When the kid does do dumb stuff, yep. maybe they didn't do it safely. Yeah, this is what I saw in my old sermon notes that I didn't address. I I saw everything of the information like an Ikea desk right. that you should put together. And that's all right. And and it's good. You couldn't look at that and say, there's not truth in there. What I did not factor in was parents that are genuinely with a pure heart trying to do this and the desk isn't coming together. Mm -hmm. All you are left with at that point is, I have failed as a parent. Right. So if, if a kid is in a season of rebellion and you as a parent have taken them to church. They're, they've gone through kids' side. They, they're doing all of this, but now they're in a season where they're rejecting that. Man, as a parent, you feel like that is a direct result of who you are. I'm going to take it a step further. Yeah. Because I think you do feel like I failed personally as a parent. Sure. But I think some even take that a little deeper and I have failed my child. Wow. And that is nothing anybody ever wants to do. Right. And you're you're questioning yourself, what more could I have done? Yeah, because you feel like this was the one thing that I can definitely point to that God has given me to yes. steward, and I dropped the ball. Right. Yeah. I failed my kid. Wow. What do I, how do I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I failed my kid. Yes. And parents, no, you didn't. Right. If you've done all these things and you've equipped them and you've given them the tools, yes, we cannot change hearts. We cannot yes. change. We can change thought process. We can, we can absolutely influence and say, "Hey, not a good idea." Yes, but we can't change their heart and make them love Jesus. Yeah, that's where we talked about the responsibility. Yes. as a parent. Um, and I want to dig into that a little bit more because you gave parents like kind of a, and the room, oh, it shifted. It was like a, it was tense. And then, and I knew I was like, this is going to be such good news. Like, I can't wait to say this good news, you know. But you flat out said, and I'm going to quote, it is not your responsibility to produce godly children. Yep. And you talk about people like, Oh, that room was like, excuse me, do what? Right. I, uh, pardon me? Yes. Um, and then you followed it up with what? Yeah. I, I just showed one verse in Isaiah, and I said, okay, if we are Christian parents, okay, mm-hmm. we believe God saves. I mean, we sing it in Amazing Grace, was blind, but now I see. And we're so quick to say I was sinners, there was nothing I could do. But we forget all of that theology when we move into parenting. And in Isaiah, he says very clearly, I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. End of discussion. I am the God that saves. So I said the very tense statement, it is not your responsibility to produce godly children. Well, then what is my responsibility? And we said this, 
it is your responsibility to see that your children have godly parents. And that's that, the key. That is huge. Yep. You grew up in a home. Your father's a pastor. You yep. were raised in, you stepped away from that. Yep. Um, and you came back. Yep. I, I, I don't know your mom well. I've yeah. met your mom before. She's great. Yes. Uh, we used to scrapbook together. Ernestine. Yeah, My mom's so... name is Ernestine, guys. And do you know why? Because her dad's name is Ernest. I love So that. in Kennet, you just add a stain. You just that, add a, a rhyme. If that is the... not Southeast Missouri, yes. I don't know what is. And then I have an aunt named Troyline. And then I have another aunt named Wooling. Okay. I'm just saying. Bless it. I couldn't yell those names down the hall after my kids. Oh, I love it. Yes, yes. Meeting your mother the few times I have and knowing her and how you speak of her and stuff and knowing your father and who he is, they, I, their knees were beside their bed. They had their Bibles open. They were praying over you when you were in your moment of rebellion. No question. And parents, that's what I want you to think. In this, it's a process to raise kids. Yes. We have that responsibility to show them godly parents. In those moments when they are being rebellious, yeah. whether it's I don't want to go to bed right now or I'm breaking curfew or I'm moving in with a girl or a boy and you yep. don't want them to do that, it's a moment. Yep. You still carry that responsibility no matter the age. Absolutely. To be a godly parent. One story that I think, and, and I didn't say, um, it's pretty personal, but I think this is a good avenue. Um, one of the youngest memories, one of the first memories I ever have was being in Dallas, Texas. I was probably Andy Grace's age. And um, my brother John is 15 years older than me. So he had just graduated high school, was in the kind of college phase, had come back from college, was living at the house and living a certain way. I remember my mom getting Joe. I remember that evening something was off. Like mom is cooking dinner and she's kind of crying. There's some stuff. I don't know where John's at. Dad was traveling, uh, preaching at the time. And my mom grabbed, she went in John's room, they talked, and then mom came out and grabbed me and Joe. And Joe's about five years older than me, so maybe like Roman's age. And she said, come into the bedroom. And we went into the bedroom, and I was like, what What are we doing? And she said, I'm going to pray, and I want you boys here. And my mom got on the, I mean, I remember the bedroom. Mm. And my mom got down on her knees and she prayed for John. And when we got up, I remember walking into the living room and my mom asking Josh, my other brother, the second born, where's John? And Josh said, John left. Yeah. And John had put everything in a trash bag and he left. And I will never forget that moment of, wow, this is... I don't know what just happened here, but this is a big deal. This is, I think, how you handle a situation like this. Big deal. Well, and it is. And you were small. And I want to speak to that. I want to like pause here for a second because your mom was giving you that example of a godly parent. Yep. 
Um, so what some of our listeners may not know is we have 12 volunteers every week that work the nursery at Kidside. So incredible. Um, yeah, it's mad chaos and yes. it's fantastic. How many people, was it two Sundays ago you guys had back there? We've been running about the same. We had, okay. um, 67 kids this week with 13 adults. We hit, we hit really close to that 80 mark, Goodness which gracious. is more people that even came to West Side when we started coming to West That's Side. almost four times the amount of people that voted me to be pastor. Right. And so Four times. That just speaks to where God is moving Amen. in our church. It Amen. is huge and great. But you have that vivid memory of, and you had that memory. I mean, that wasn't yep. just poof, memory recovery no. somewhere. So when you did step away and you were in your moment of rebellion, I'm sure your mom was doing the exact same thing for you no and was question. praying and she was being that godly mother. Yep. And now as an adult, you're back, you're raising your own family. You've got these moments. <clears throat> and after our 12 volunteers, after Sunday wraps up, kids yeah. all go home. We have a little meeting because our volunteers change every week. Sure, sure. Hey, guys, what are some areas we need to focus on? How Love did things go? Celebrate, Any, concentrate. Exactly. Yeah. What can we like celebrate? Where do we need to concentrate? What can we do to make sure everything ran well? Or what do we need to improve on? How are the kids? It's good. All those things. We do prayer requests with the kids in each room starting at the two-year-olds. I love it. Um, and our bigs, which are our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, okay. are listening parents. Mm. They are listening. Yeah. Miss um, Lori had the bigs this week. Yeah. And when she asked them, hey, what's your one good thing? What's a prayer request? What do we need to do? How we kick off and stuff. Ukraine and Russia wow. were huge topics. Yeah. Um, to the point, like she said, I don't know if some of the teenagers would have rattled that off as a prayer request as quickly wow. as some of these littles did. Wow. And you were telling the story of Andy Grace, your middle. Yep. She was in big church. Yep. And we did a corporate prayer. We did. And she was questioning you over why we prayed for both. She was so confused. She was asking about the prayer, and in a roundabout way, what she was trying to say was, there are good people, Ukraine, there are bad people, Russia, without saying that because right. Andy's so sweet and polite. She just no, doesn't want to say. she would never say mean people. And, all, and she kept saying three times, she said, but you prayed for both. Right. But you prayed for both. And... I realized, oh my gosh, that's a worldview lesson. Mm -hmm. That's a, we, we try in our home to definitely not say bad people, good people. Well, you know, we sometimes might say evil because the Bible uses that language. But what we say is love Jesus, don't love Jesus. Right. Because that's the language the Bible uses. And you're absolutely right. I had no idea that she was listening. And, and we don't. So yeah. when we speak to the influence and you then broke down, like that was, that could be a moment where, where you are with Ernestine praying yes. for your brother. Yes. Andy Grace may carry that to where, Hey, you know what? I was this age when this broke out. And I remember my dad praying with the church for both sides and it confused right. me at the time. Sure. But now I understand that could be absolutely one of those moments of you being a godly parent and her seeing that. Gosh, it's huge. But you broke it down into grace and truth. Yeah. 
and what that looks like when it comes to parenting our children. Yeah, I feel like that's all you have. If I mean, if we're really, if we're stripping away everything, if we're even stripping away discipline and how do I spank or how do I not? And then how do I read the Bible? How do I pray? It's what you said at the beginning of the podcast, the why. What are under all of those routines and what it does come down to is grace and truth because that's how God parents us. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that because God is very intentional with us. We may not always realize it, Yes. but the amount of grace he gives us is more than we could ever. I mean, Calvary right there alone. We will never live up to that expectation. And I'm grateful I don't have to, but I do have the truth in these commandments, in these statutes, in these rules. I'm teaching it to our kids' side kids in the Ten Commandments. Yes. Does your family have rules? Yep. These are God's rules. This is your dad. Yep. God is another dad. And the important thing that we always teach, and I know that you're teaching the kids, is God gave us these commands because we are in his family. Yes. God did not give us these commands, so then if we do them, we will be in his family. Right. That is the difference in gospel and religion. We say, I mean, I am indebted forever. I say this so much, people probably think I said it because I can't (laughs) say Tim Keller, you know, 80 times in a sermon. But he says the difference in the gospel and religion, this is disciples and the Pharisees, is religion says, if I obey, then I will be accepted. And parents, your kids are operating in that in their brain because it's, it's tough because you're like... There are chores, and there is rules, and when you obey them, things go well. And our sinful human mind thinks, well, if I obey more, then I get more. That must mean they love me more. Right. And the reality is no. So religion says, if I obey, I'll be accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted because of what Christ has done, therefore I'm free to obey. Right. That's the difference in grace and truth. And we are, we are absolutely teaching that to the kids, that these are good guidelines. Yep but it's not going to save your heart and your soul. And that's what we're working for. This is heart yes. and soul. We are kingdom building. We are disciple making. Yes. Um, and that comes back into this. When it comes to the four, I'm going to run over them really quick. Sure. You talked about low grace and high truth being a call out. Yep. The parent can fix the kids. Um, good luck with that. Yes, yes. Um, high grace, low truth. I instantly thought of the movie Mean Girls and the Mom. Yes. I'm not like other moms. I'm the cool mom. A hundred percent. And then low grace, low truth was the checkout, the mere minimum and the avoidance. And yep. I'm going to say if you are a Christian parent and that is where you identified, yeah. oh, baby, I'm praying for your kids because yes, that yes. just broke my heart. Yes. High truth. High grace, the call in. I'm yeah. going to empower my kid. Yes. My kids need to learn how to fail. Yeah. And and looking at that, because we feel like we have to balance it. And, and we said that you don't balance it because you can't, because Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of both. Right. And, and one of the things when we looked at that matrix, which is, you can matrix anything, which is a ton of fun, is... It's important to know first what culture you were raised in, you know, because there's two results from that. If you, so let's say I was raised in a call out culture, 
right? So it was high truth, low grace. I'm going to blast you. What you need is a job What you and just beat down, do all of that. Truth is a baseball bat. It's not a scalpel. Okay. If you grew up in that environment, there's two results. Number one, you're going to swing the pendulum the exact opposite way. And what you're going to end up doing is you're going to live in hangout culture because your, your constant motivation is going to be I'm not going to do to them what was done to me. Mm -hmm. And then you produce this enabling culture, which is a low standard, or you inevitably reproduce the same culture. And you say, well, I'm going to give to them what was given to me. It was good enough for me. Yes. Oh, that makes me just cringe so hard. What would you say, not getting too in detail or anything, what would you say a predominant, you know, what what quadrant did you grow up in? Did I grow up in? Um... I think mom was really good about kind of balancing some things. Sure. Um, mom is very much black as black, white as white. Yeah. She will call you out and call you yes. to the mat. Yes. Um, but then she would come up alongside me. So it, it would depend on the phases and yep. things. Um, but I'm going to be, and mom, I'm sorry. I love it. Um, and she knows this, and Absolutely. that's why I can say this. I parent differently than my mom did. Sure. Not always because I didn't want that. I I was able to pick and choose. Absolutely. And so in some things, I'm like, mom did that. I didn't really like it. it. I didn't like the way it worked for me. Sure. So I didn't do that with my kids. Yeah. And then other things mom did, I'm like, oh, I'm about to beat this baby. Right. Um, and mom, yes. because of that. So it, it's just, it's very different. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think you're absolutely right. I think when it comes to that, how you parent, it. You have to know how you grew up and then what you're responding to. Yep. So when it comes back to that, being a, when we flip out of I'm a parent to I am a child of God, how does God parent me? Yeah. And then how can I give that to my kids? Yeah. That makes it less of my performance as a parent Yep. and more about, hey, God, thank you for entrusting me with this person. Yeah. We're in a hard season. Yeah. I don't know how to do this, but you do. Yes, 100%. And the guilt and the shame that comes, and even if you are a parent of adults, and you're never done being a parent. Yeah, like I was even, I talked to a parent Sunday out in the lobby who is watching their kids with their kids, their grandkids. Right. And she said, in a way... This is so much harder for me because a I'm very this is a very emotionally and spiritually mature person that I'm talking to. They said, "A I was I am now very aware of my mistakes, where mm-hmm. I was, what I did, and I'm watching them and most of the time I think a grandparent looks at their kid who's parenting their grandkid and is going, you're a little bit too high truth in mm-hmm. in this. Yes. This is not that big of a deal. Though I know right now it seems to be, and there's a level of it that it is. If it is disobedience, if it is sin, you know, the biggest things in our home are if you lie and if there's sort like physical violence, if you like haul off and hit somebody or right. do something like that. Because both of those things show a heart that is malfunctioning, you know, underneath that. But but to hear a grandparent say, take a breath. You're being too harsh. In 10 years, five years, this is not that big a deal. 
which is hilarious to me because I say that to my kids and have always said that to yeah, my kids. Right, yeah. Especially in the emotional teenage years. Yeah. Hey, in five minutes, five months, five years, is this going to matter? And if wow. they say no, I'm like, okay, sit with it, feel it, and then move on. Yes. But then we as parents will pick that hurt, shame, yes. guilt, condemnation up. Yes. And we will take it back from God. Yeah. Calvary's done, guys. We are trusted with these kids. Yes. No matter their age. Yes. For a little bit, but they're God's first. Yeah. And I think the key in understanding it, because I am chief among sinners of reacting to the moment. Mm -hmm. So if I say, hey, guys, let's do this, or I say something that needs to be done and it's not done the first time, I am the reactive parent and who's like, this needs to get done. I'm not going to repeat myself, and Courtney is very gracious to come alongside. And the difference in all of those quadrants, the question is, how can I create a call-in environment was one big word that we looked at, and it was intentional. Yeah. I think think the call-in parent is intentional with everything that they do. So for me, when I fail in those moments and react, I'm not being intentional. I'm being reactive, but Courtney comes alongside with very intentional eyes and goes, hey, we just got home. It's a little bit hectic. They have responsibilities when they come home. They're doing this stuff in their room. That's why they didn't come like dogs to your first beck and call, you know, Mr. Master over here. Take a breath. It's intentionality is what it is. And I I think that is absolute. We have to be intentional with our children the same way God was intentional with us. Yes. So you gave a couple of practical ways without getting too much when it comes into the intentionality. And you asked, are you making specific time to read the Bible with your children? Sure. Do you have a specific prayer time with your children? Yeah. This one really pleasantly surprised me and get, and like made me smile. Yeah. Are you going to be the one to initiate your son or daughter into man or womanhood? That Explain was, that one a little bit because that one's kind of different. Yeah, that one definitely got um the, you know the most responses out of it. When when I think about intentionality, this is what I always think of if if we're not clear on it. Have you ever seen a bride planning their wedding? I mean, you do all the stuff for the wedding. So it's like, you know exactly what's going on. When a woman is planning her wedding, there is not a single thing that goes unnoticed. I remember our wedding, we had a very small ceremony down on Current River, just invited family. And then we had an open reception. I remember Courtney planning what was going to be in the middle of the table for all of the tables. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? It does that even... So when we think intentional, think about a bride planning for her wedding. The same should be true when it comes to us as parents. Because I think a majority of us parent by accident. And here's what I mean. So we're just surviving. God, <laughs> And in those goodness. early years, yes, yes, you are. And, and especially the past couple of years, like us as parents, guys, our kids... Our kids, the Jordan kids, left for spring break and never went back right. because of mm-hmm. COVID. Like, and then you're handed all of this stuff. So you're just trying to survive. And the next thing you know, they're driving. Yeah. And you're like, wait, 
did we have a conversation with them about like what we expect for them driving and and this is a responsibility and like what does this mean? So to summon all of that up, when it comes to manhood and womanhood, my my heart is definitely geared towards the men of West Side. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we have West Side men, and out of all of the books and all of everything, it always comes back to most men cannot define for you what a biblical man is. And A, when does that transition happen? Is it puberty? Is it when they drive? Is it when they turn 18? Is it, when is that? So us as parents, if we are going to be intentional, like a bride planning for her wedding, we need to look at the lives of our kids and go, what are pillar moments? Here's an example that might be way too graphic, but when I'm talking about, because Andy is super girly girl, all of that stuff. I asked Courtney one time, when did you learn about this stuff? Like nails and hair and all yeah. of that. And, and she was like, I don't know. I think you just do. And that's why she's being very intentional with Andy about what it is to be a woman and what to wear and what not to wear and this is why and those types of things. So we have, and listen, when I say these examples, this does not mean we have it figured out. Nobody does. What we are saying is here's how we're fumbling and stumbling forward as a family. So we have a goal. Roman, you just mentioned turn double digits. Yeah. So the first pillar for us with our kids is double digits. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. So when Roman turned 10 um, for his birthday, Courtney did an incredible job, so much intentionality. Roman loves cowboy stuff, loves living that life, all of those I things. I love that God gave you him. Like, it is so great for me. Everybody laughs. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. If you know Jason, yes. you know it's Air Jordan. Yep. It's just, it's not the cowboy life. It Roman is, could yes. be a Mauser kid in an instant. <laughs> yes, yes. And I love that it's just so different. It's it's incredible. And so Courtney, uh, was, Courtney said, hey, here's what I think we should do. Let's leave the other kids because this is important. This is his birthday. And so we're going to go to a dude ranch for a couple of days and Roman's going to get to live that cowboy life. And so for two days, Roman had all of our attention because there weren't the other kids Mm -hmm. there. And we were like, hey, bub, you turned 10. This is a big deal. So now there's more responsibilities. There's more freedom but this is a pillar moment. Another pillar moment for us is when they hit the teenage years, whether that be 13, 16, whatever, what we want to do is we want to isolate that kid, whether it's Roman or whether it's Andy Grace. So for Roman, the plan right now is is to maybe go on a camping trip. Mm. And what I want to do is I want to take some men that are involved in our lives. So a Matt Blackburn and these guys. And what I want to do is real chill Friday night camp out and around the fire, I want these men to write Roman a letter and I want them to speak into Roman's life as to who they see he is and who they see what God is doing in his life and the man that he's going to become. And I want those men to bless my son Mm. around the fire, pray for them. Courtney's going to do the same thing with the girls. She's going to get women and stuff to do that. And the reason why is because, again, what, what you've been bringing up, God is intentional with us. Yes, We see that at Jesus's baptism, Jesus is getting initiated into ministry. 
He has not done a single miracle. He has not preached a single sermon. At Jesus' baptism, the Gospel of Mark says, the heavens were ripped open, and a audible voice, the Father, says to the Son, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So we see the Father giving the Son his identity. And interesting, immediately after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And the first thing Satan says to him is, if you are the Son of God, that is challenging his identity. Mm-hmm. He just heard from the Father that he is the beloved Son. But Satan comes along and says, if you are, prove yourself. And man, I think for us as parents, that is a huge gospel lesson for Absolutely. us. That we as parents give our kids their identity. Yes, We say, this is who you are. This is who we are as a family. Because in school every day, and through Snapchat, and through Instagram, and through that idiot boy that slides in the DMs, or that crazy girl that tries to date your son, or whatever, they are trying to give your child a different identity. Right. And that's the key of parenting. Well, and even the child themselves are trying to create their own identity. As they grow up, they're learning their voice, they're cultivating their voice. Yes, what little voice in your head do you have? Like when when Jason starts yep. going somewhere, maybe kind of dark. Yep. You hear a voice. Hundred percent. Is it your own voice? I mean, and and, and I'm not like, no, going to make you answer yes, that no. completely. I, you know, when I hear that voice is when I'm either getting ready to do something where I stand up in front of people or do something. You know, I've tried to be as open as I can about my insecurities, but I'm a deeply insecure person. And so I hear that critic in me that says, you need to prove yourself. You need to impress them. Mm -hmm. You need to show them this. And when I start operating in that, you can tell. Courtney knows when I'm sending her new Air Jordan shoes, links, and the first question she asked me is, have you been listening to rap music? Like a lot of rap (laughs) music because I'm in this place where I'm like, who am I? What is my identity in all of this? A hundred percent. So if we as adults question our identity and we do, we do, we, we need it to be the bigger house, the better job, the better car, the vacation, whatever, because we all fall guilty to living in that world. 100%. We forget who we are in Christ. Yes. And we are Christ's bride to bring it back into that. Our children do the same thing. 100%. We only have like right now the season of life I am in with my kids. I have one kid who is 22. He's grown. He lives at home with us. He works a 40-hour job. He's taking 13 hours in school. Yes. So I don't see him a lot. Yeah. Um, He works and his days off are different than ours. Like he opens his place of work every Sunday morning. Sure. So he doesn't come to church. Sure. He, I have to hope and pray and hope that he's listening and hearing and sure. doing things when he is there. Yeah. I can't do it for him, even though the mom in me is a very much type A control freak and wants <laughs> yes. to. Yes. Flip side of that, I have a 16-year-old daughter yeah. who is very involved. She's a cheerleader at her high school. She's yep. very involved in FFA, and that's a whole... We're hitting contest season and we're we're in district basketball playoff. So last night she rolled home about nine o'clock. She left at seven. Hey, also, by the way, shout out to the Donovan girls 
for smoking their opponents, <sighs> man. Yeah, that last was incredible. Game was bad. Yes, uh, which yes. The boys did it the other night too. It was another like. Yes. Donovan basketball is almost a, a cult and a religion all in itself. Hoosierland, it's baby. Phenomenal. Let's go. Um, but I know this week she has something every single night of the week. Yeah. And last night, I got a text from your wife. Wow. Uh, we were in a group text talking about a lot of this, just parenting. Yes. There was three of us in this conversation. And we have those people that we can lean on. Yes. As we go through these seasons of parenting. And I had back surgery, so I'm still in kind of recovery mode. Yeah. I freaked my 16-year-old kid out. And I was like, help, I'm stuck. And I sent it to her. Yeah. She comes in there. She's like, what? I was like, if I just said come in here because I haven't talked to you today, you wouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, yes. But I really wanted to see you. I just I needed five minutes of face-to-face mm. -face time with her with nothing else. Yeah. And I just sat there and we just talked for a few minutes and I said, okay, I love you. I'm praying for you. Go on to bed. And she yeah. went to bed. I needed that. You see, and, and to get back, that's exactly what Moses is saying in the text yes. in Deuteronomy 6 when he says, teach them diligently as you sit at your house, when you walk along the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. What Moses is saying is there's this thing called life. What God is not asking you to do is to create a false life that is unnatural. What he's saying is, as you live your life, have these conversations with your kids. Yes. And what you're doing is exactly that, is I know that this is her week, and rather than messing her entire week up and sitting down at the table, no. because by God, we got to do, it's, hey, I just wanted to see you. How are you? How's your heart? That, I just think that's what parenting is it, in the scriptures. But that is what God does with us. He Amen. gives us those moments to pause. Yeah. And bringing it all, kind of wrapping it up a little bit when it comes to the intentionality of it, whether it be holding your kid's hand, the car. Yep. Oh my gosh. Kid, parents, if you've got a middle school, elementary age, teenage kid that's not driving yet, and they're involved in anything, you are trapped in that car a lot. All the time. And that is the best time to, they can't get away from you. They yes. can't escape. Yes. I that mean, is when I mean, you have those hard conversations. Or just you have in the ambiance of the background, you turn on the Bible app yes. or you're on, you know, 90.3 or you're listening to worship music. What we did for a long time, and again, this is not, hey, look at us. This is after a season of realizing man, we have fallen off the wagon mm -hmm. here. We are just reacting here. We realized we're in the car a lot. On the way to school, when Roman was at Oak Grove, we had basically the length of Township Line Road. Yeah, And so we kept a Bible in the car, and I told Roman, read out loud on the way to school. Man, sometimes by the time he buckles, gets situated, pulls out, he's read two verses right. or he's done something like that. It also helped him with his reading. That was just an intentional thing that we tried and it seemed to stick in that season. So when my kids were both in middle school, it is... No, Jolie was in the middle school here. Cooper was in the high school there. Anyway, because um, the schools switched here in Poplar sure. Bluff. But that parent pick up and drop off line oh. at middle school, no matter what, yes. it's a beast. Yes. Um, and in the mornings, drop off, 
that was our, hey, sis, what are we going to do? Hey, bub, what are we going to do? What do we have going on? Yep. I got a math test. I got a this. So-and-so's being mean. So-and-so's got this going on. Okay, let's stop and pray for them as we go through the line. Let's pray for your teachers. And we would take that moment. I mean, it's five minutes, but yes. you're doing nothing else but watching cars go. Yes. Pray with them. So we share the gospel. Yes. And then you spoke later on on how to be intentional with, telling our kids how we fell in love with Jesus. And I think that is so beautiful. I think whether your kids are young or old, whether they've always been in church or they're new to church world, they need to know the why behind. Why do we, why? And I think what is age appropriate? Absolutely. 100%. Of telling the kids why Jesus is so important. Yeah. I think when Moses says, and I love again to go back to that, Moses says, when your son asks. So when. Not if. No, they will. Because there's going to be a time of, why can I stay there on Saturday Mm -hmm. night? Or why are we driving back? Or why are we doing this? That's when you say, our family operates differently than the world. Not so God will love us, but because he does love us. And the way that's looked for us, because... Courtney and I's testimony is really different. I say that I was saved kind of from sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the classic cliche, rebellious. And then I say Courtney was saved from Sunday school. Right. And what I mean by that is Courtney had a great life, went to church, did all of that. And then there was a moment she prayed with her dad, did those things. And Roman, a few years back, traveled with me when I was speaking at a large youth conference. And um, I had led the room in a prayer of salvation and then did the invitation. And when I walked, he was in back in a room hanging out with some of the tech guys while I was preaching. And when I walked off the stage, he was there. He was right on the stage. And I said, hey, Bubba, and I hugged him, and I could tell something was off. And he said, hey, I prayed with you. And I said, oh, yeah, well, thank you, Bub. And I thought he meant he was praying for me when I was preaching. And he said, no, I prayed what those kids prayed. And I just stripped my mic off and put my Bible to the side. And I said, hey, Bubba, what's going on? And he just started crying. And so we prayed the prayer of salvation there together. But when he called Courtney, um, the uh, Piper was really, really young. And so they didn't get to come. He called Courtney and Courtney talked to him about when she prayed with her dad. And so it's exactly that. Yeah. It's our kids hearing our story. Yes. It's not, again, to kind of come back to center on this. It is not our responsibility to produce godly children. No. We can't do that. It is our job to see that our children have godly parents. And that, and that is absolutely. Um, as a parent, we will fail our children. 100%. There's, there's no way. Yes. It, it will happen. Yes. It's not an if, it, it's a win, and it's how many times, because you will fail them a lot. Yes. Don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. Because you are not called to do that. Yes. We are called in verse five, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with Mm. all your soul, with all your might. Yes. And we've been teaching the kids at Kids Side, all means all. Yes. It doesn't mean all but. All means all. It's good. These are God's children. Yeah, it's really good. We get to steward them. A hundred percent. I I sort of, I, I wrestled all week with like, you know, when I teach, I try to go, this is like this mm-hmm. constantly. And so I was like, man, what is a picture 
of parenting. What is to show the why and then the when and and how. And so at the end, I just had a, a, a cardboard cut out of a heart. And I said, let's say that this is your child's heart. We cannot regenerate this heart. We cannot make this heart love God. We are, the Bible actually says we are born sinners. And so there's a reason why you didn't have to teach your kid to drop kick their sister whenever that's, that's the sinful bent. That's all of that. And I said, what is biblical parenting? And I laid that heart on a table. I said, biblical parenting is saying, Hey, this is why we do this in our home. And this is why we don't lie. And I had a log and I put that log on on the heart. And then I said, and then you share your testimony of when I got saved. And then you put that log. I said, we cannot ignite our child's heart. No. Only God does that. But the moment the spark flies in their heart, the reason why we've been doing everything is we've been putting wood right around their heart. So the moment that God ignites it, it burns absolutely, and, and it burns bright. And I just think that's the end goal of what we're doing. Well, I think wrapping up this sermon series yeah. on New Year, New Family, I think it does come back to, and Josh, when we talk about how far, and I've been walking this with the kids of who Joshua was, yeah, cool. what he did, yeah, and his, you know, uh, Joshua was saying, okay, all of this has happened, but as for me and my house, this is what I'm going to do. Yes. I'm not telling you what to do. Yes. This is what I'm going to do, and this is what it means for me and my family. Beautiful. We're going to follow the Lord. Yes. And he's given them the reasons too. We as parents are called to be that godly parent and yes. to do that for our kids. So when the world does, because the world will try to tear them down, they yep. should that they know that they are Christ 100%. first, yes. then they are ours, and we only have them. And I think giving them the tools to equip them yes. is absolutely is everything. Vital. I mean, is you, everything. Yeah. Um, to summarize this, I get I, I get asked a lot about resources for parenting and this, that, and the other. So look in the show notes, and there's going to be a couple of links. The first link is to a book by Paul David Tripp, which is called Shepherding Your Child's Heart. This book, I think, is the best combination to constantly lay before you the why of parenting. So what's the goal of discipline? What's the goal of this? And one of the things that he says is, if your goal is behavior modification, no. then then you've failed. That's not the goal. That is an incredible resource. So I would encourage parents, grandparents, anybody listen uh, and, and get that book. The second resource is going to be, we actually have in the lobby, the title of it is called Table Talk, yeah. I think. And all it is is a resource for you around the dinner table or driving in the car. It's like a mini devotional and it's intentional questions to ask your kids. So you would appreciate this. You know, you're back there at kids' side, you've labored all week, you've taught these kids a lesson, and then they get in the car with their parents and the parents just say, how is kids' side? Oh, no, they'll say, what was the sticky sentence? And it'll be like, I don't know. Right, yeah. Every and, time. Absolutely. And so what this guy does is it allows you to ask more intentional questions to your kids. What did you learn today? Tell me about that. What is this? What is that? 
Those are all great resources. And then this Sunday, Miss Nikki, is Family Worship Sunday. Yeah, it's my favorite Sunday of the month, and I'm actually going to be back. I last love Sunday, it. You did a great, oh. Last month, you did a great job. Well, I am going to be the most excited person <laughs> that Miss Nikki is back because you have a gift of leading that. Tell our people, if they're listening to this podcast for the first time, what is family worship and why do we do that? So family worship is the first Sunday of every month. Um, if you are first grade and above, you are hanging out in what the kids call big church. Yeah. Um, we have about a 10 minute little window yeah. at the beginning of the service that we kind of break down either what we've been working on in the back. It's kind of like a review little mini week. Yeah. Or we will kind of introduce the adults to whatever Pastor Jason's topic is. Yeah. Um, and what that is, is everybody in that room for that moment, you are a kid's side kid. I love it. So we do, um, this little light of mine will be our song that we're doing this week. And yeah. I expect to see all of the motions. Yes. I don't care if you're, you know, in first grade or you're 88. It yes. doesn't matter. I will call you out on it. Yes. Um, but we do. We do our sticky sentence, our memory verse. We have a video. It's just a smaller, condensed version of kid's side. Yeah. The reason is probably my favorite thing. Yeah. Yes, it gives our volunteers a little bit of a break. It does, sure. Okay, that's wonderful. Sure. But we are absolutely doing this on purpose because if we have your children back in Kidside every Sunday, they never get to see Dad grab Mom's hand and pray with her. Mm. They don't get to see Grandma raise her hands in surrender. Yes. They don't get to understand what coming to the table for communion as a whole church looks like, feels like. They need to have those moments. We are very intentional to keep using that word and purposeful. They have what we call a busy bag. It's a little bag. It's got some snacks in it, but it also has worksheets and color pages. All of those tie into past lessons so they can take those home. They leave the bag, but they can take all the color stuff home. So they do have things where you know, an eight-year-old can, can get a little bored. Sometimes the sermon is over their sure. head and not where they're at developmentally. Yeah. But they can still sit in that pew, color, yep. and hear and feel yes. that room. And that's something we just don't want to say that we believe. One thing we say all the time is that those kids, the youth, the kid-side kids, are not future leaders of the church. No. They are current members of the church now. And so we literally intentionally set an entire Sunday aside each month in order to worship together as a family. So that's happening this Sunday. Come check it out, 10 a.m. at Westside. If you can't make it in person, you can watch our live stream on Facebook at 10 a.m. Also this Sunday, we are starting, um, I am so excited for this series, we are starting a series entitled Memento More. You have the congregation's curiosity. (laughs) Uh, yes. They are anxious. That is a Latin phrase, which means remember your death. And so primarily this time of year, like this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And this is the season in the church calendar known as Lent. When you strip everything down to its bare bones, whatever has been that thing that has been between you and Jesus, you intentionally fast from that um, during this season. And what it does is it prepares your heart for Easter. You're fasting for the feast. So during this time when COVID, death, wars, all of that, and it seems like death is all around us, there's been a season in our congregation, and I really feel as a pastor, my primary job 
is to prepare us for eternity. Absolutely. And so that's what we're doing and looking. So that starts this Sunday, which is a great time for you to invite your family, your friends to come, to come be a part and join us in that. Hey, if you've got any questions about us as a church, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. You can like our Facebook page. Miss Nikki, this is great. Looking forward to having you over these weeks. Thanks. It's going to be, be fun. It is. It's going to be a ton of fun. Hey, we love you guys. And never forget, our goal at Westside and everything that we do is that it is all about Jesus. Absolutely. We love you guys. Peace. Peace.